0: Ready? One,
1: two, three. Welcome to Tipping Points, the podcast that reveals moments in people's lives that change everything. My name is Luke Eddleston, and each week I interview fascinating people with extraordinary stories to find their tipping points. So today I'm very excited to be talking to Lily Wolford. and uh, she's owner and founder of Love With Intelligence, Leadership With Intelligence, and NLP With Intelligence, She's a Master Behaviour Practitioner, Master NLP Practitioner and Trainer, Coach and Hypnotherapist. Formerly an accountant, Lily has transformed her life and career to become a successful entrepreneur. I'm really excited to tease out some of the interesting stories. Lily, welcome to the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: (laughs) My pleasure. And uh, I thought I'd start off with something we've talked about a little bit before. just because i know you're quite uh you're open with all this and really appreciate all of that as well and so you have talked to me about one time when you were using internet dating something i think a lot of people have used now uh, probably 10 years ago it's probably a bit taboo i remember when i met a girl about 10 years ago actually it was extremely taboo and it was like oh, i met them online that's a bit weird you're like all right whatever <laughs> does it matter not really anyway so yeah you 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 were talking to somebody online and then you found something uh, delivered to your house. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
0: Yeah, gosh, it's just absolutely insane. So um, yeah, you're completely right about internet dating. It's changed so much over the last 10 years. I think it's become a lot more acceptable than what it used to be. But yeah, I was on a online dating site. I'd literally done a load of work on myself. Thought, okay, I've done all the personal development. I'm ready to go ahead and date. And um, all of a sudden uh spoke you know, speaking to this guy and I thought, okay, you know, he's an interesting guy, but you just you can only feel that there's a mismatch. There's something not quite right there where you're like Yeah, okay, I'll carry on. I'll politely end the conversation and that's where it should end. And uh the next day he tried to message me again, just like okay, I'm just gonna ignore it. There's no point leading someone on for the sake of leading someone on. And the following day after that, all of a sudden I got these like bunch of roses, bunch of pink roses via Interflora. So they weren't cheap roses either. And basically from just my profile, just my name, you know, just my first name not even my last name, he'd managed to find out where I lived. Which is freaking terrifying, you know, to know that someone can actually find out where you live. And um, yeah, it was quite like terrifying. So I had a friend who was a trainer for Chase Hughes. And Chase is an, a, a beha- you know, world leader in behavioral profiling. He's got $30 million worth of government-backed research, um, trained like CIA-level operatives. He's absolutely insane. So I sent all the screenshots of the dating profile, the messages, and um, forwarded them on to my friend who forwarded them on to Chase, who kind of let me know, okay, what do I need to do here? And literally, within just a few messages, it was crazy. I wasn't rude. I didn't say no. I didn't tell the guy off. Um, This guy suddenly just left me alone, you know, just from a few messages. And what we tend to find as well with with those kind of personality types is they love to be able to pursue. They love to be able to... um, do what they can to you know be in your life somehow so whether it's like sending stuff to your address whether it's um you blocking them and them still trying to find ways to actually communicate with you um yeah so you, it's really important to deal with those personality types in a very careful way so which we managed to do and the nice thing is we took that information and decided to go ahead and learn more from Chase on his London course And now I've partnered up with him within business and I train people on how to use this to date safely and successfully. So it went into things like behavioral profiling, learning how to profile someone within six minutes or less, learning how to be better than a human lie detector, you know, a polygraph machine on, um, so you can be more informed when it comes to, um, uh, you know, making a decision on whether you wanna spend the rest of your life with someone, you know, because you can see the truth. So it led on to so many different things.
1: Yeah, it's it's so interesting, all the (laughs) behavioural stuff. And I know we've talked a little bit about it. Uh, We want to talk a bit more as well. Um, Something that I don't know why, out of everything you said, but something that stuck out was you did you did some personal development before feeling ready to go dating. That that sounds funny to me. <laughs> when you say <laughs> would you say you did some personal development, like what were you trying to do or achieve, if you know what I mean, like. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, it's quite funny because what basically happened, the way I got into this, was I'd gone through um, an abusive relationship at nineteen. I was with the guy for three years, and I was stalked for five years afterwards. So it was like, okay, there's something. There's something going wrong here, whether it's me picking the wrong person, whether it's me attracting the wrong person. And I found that, um, even after that relationship, I went into another relationship that wasn't that great and another relationship that wasn't that great. And after that relationship ended, um, it made me realize that there was just something missing when it comes to actually finding and meeting someone who's right for you and actually having a healthy relationship. And of course, when you go online and you go and have a look at all the videos out there and all the information, it's all so much about self-love, self-confidence and this that and the other. So I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. So I went and trained as an NLP uh, master practitioner trainer, hypnotherapist, life coach, um, you name it, I was bloody doing it because I just wanted to be able to say, okay, I'm in the best position to be able to do this. But <laughs> although personal development is absolutely great, um, it won't prevent other people from being themselves. So what I mean by this is if you're a sheep and you've got amazing self-worth, amazing self-confidence, And there's a wolf over there. You're not going to stop the wolf from being a wolf. He's not going to turn around and go, oh, that's a sheep there. It's got great self-confidence. I'm not going to eat it. Mm. (laughs) He's going to go, well, I'm a wolf. This is what I do. And I think that's what we tend to find with a lot of the personality types out there, whether it's a psychopath, whether it's a narcissist, whether it's a sociopath, whether it's just someone who's just very traumatized or very damaged or a manipulator. It doesn't matter that's that person's behavior and you're not going to prevent that or change that. But if you have the right insights that you're going to be able to see that and you're going to be able to avoid that in future.
1: Right. Well, yeah, it sounds like you went head first into all of those different courses and things. It's it's, it's a lot of things to go and do, really. Um, What was like the initial... How did you get into that initially? Because I understand that you know you had issues and you thought i need to change the patterns of all this and uh, like i don't ask what your google searches are because you know people would search all sorts but um like where how did you get into that avenue because for everyone that's quite different isn't it
0: yeah yeah so for me um I went through like an unexpected breakup and (laughs) I thought, oh, I'm living my best life. I live in a four bedroom detached house in a a great city, in a great location, two brand new Mercedes on the drive. You know, talking about, you know, buying another new house, you know, in this great place. Thought I had a great relationship. And then all of a sudden within one, one weekend, you get that message of, I think we need to talk and it was kind of like one of those oh my goodness moments because I thought everything was great I thought everything was fine but you know obviously that relationship ended I knew that I needed to be able to move forward to something better if I was leaving a life that I thought I loved I knew it was really important to me to say okay well I'm actually leaving this to be able to create something better rather than looking back and going, oh my gosh, I really miss that life <laughs> or miss that relationship or miss, you know, the job and all the rest of it. So it gave me a little bit of time to actually really think and focus, okay, what is it that I truly want? You know, like you, like you previously mentioned, I was an accountant back then, you know, and I thought that that was something I wanted to do. So what I, what I actually found that is when I left that relationship and left that town left that city left that job literally left absolutely everything with that old life um i worked with a life coach who kind of opened my eyes to the personal development world because i always thought well people who need therapists or coaches or life coaches or nlp practitioners or whatever they might be i thought oh they must be really weak people to be able to need that I had this massive, like, you know, feeling of, okay, that you you must be really weak or really broken to be able to go ahead and work with these people. (laughs) And it shook me off. It made me realize, actually, you know, to be able to go into this realm and understand more about yourself, more about other people, it helps you to connect to yourself and ultimately connect with other people better. And um, I had a friend, I thought, started doing a bit of research. I had a friend who was already doing NLP, And he'd been doing it for, gosh, probably about 20, 30 years And decided that he would sit down and have a little bit of a chat with me about it And I thought, okay, well, you know, this is a person back then Who I didn't believe in hypnotherapy I didn't really believe, I thought I was a strong, independent person No one can influence me and all the rest of it And I kid you not, within 10 minutes of him taking me through this exercise (laughs) He put me off chocolate for a good two years within just 10 minutes. And chocolate was one of those things at that time that I would eat constantly, like daily. I would, you know, I'd go to work, go and get a sandwich and I'd always go and get a chocolate bar. And just to make it even worse, when he did this exercise, it was two weeks before my birthday. and Everyone knew that I love chocolate. (laughs) So I literally had, I know it must've been like a good eight boxes of chocolates. that I felt absolutely repulsed by which was just unreal but the weird thing is I also had this emotional attachment so I couldn't let them go either so I had this chocolate like shrine for ages and I thought okay if something like that within 10 minutes could like change my life then okay what else can it do and uh yeah literally within a year that was it, coaching, hypnotherapy, NLP practitioner, master practitioner, public speaking, set up a business. And um, yeah, the rest is history, really. Everything sort of came together in that amazing way where I could go ahead and and help people. And then a year later, ended up um, working with Chase and developing programs with him.
1: I know, it seems like a fantasy fairy tale after you had some issues. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly. And I think, you know, I just wish more people just knew about this stuff, because I think even from, you know, just that level of really connecting and understanding yourself, but also understanding how to connect with others, because Mm -hmm. I think this is where most people muck up you know, you think about most relationships, usually if there's a relationship problem, that's usually down to communication, or there's something on the lines of, um, you know, being disconnected to different parts of yourself, or not being true to yourself, or them not being true to themselves, whatever it might be, it's usually down to, um, you know, a few of those core elements, which is so important for us to be able to be in that place. If you're in a place where you're connected to yourself, you understand yourself, and you're fully accepting and loving of yourself, you're gonna be in a better place to, you know, in a healthier place to create a healthy relationship. But if you're not in that place to begin with, and you're kind of unhealthily looking at yourself, going no self-worth, no confidence, this is that and the other, and from that unhealthy place, you're expecting to create a healthy relationship, it doesn't work. <laughs> So, it's like the foundational le- levels need to be there.
1: Yeah, you'll just end up repeating the same old patterns, which I think basically everyone does. The, you know, they take what happened for them in their childhood, uh, emulate potentially their parents, even though they think they would hate that uh, a lot of the time, and uh, yeah, end up repeating the same relationships, which might be kind of what happened to you earlier on as well. I mean, you your brain and your body knows how to deal with certain things you've done before so even if it was potentially unhealthy or unhelpful it will keep repeating it because it knows how it's going out of side of that comfort zone which is far more difficult for basically everybody um, and that's why most people don't and end up doing the same thing day to day and you know feeling unfulfilled <laughs>
0: Exactly and it it boils down to that awareness because it's like you were saying you know we can can go through the the childhood patterns of copying parents but it's also emulating the, the emotions that we felt back then as well. So it's almost like, okay, if you felt, I was chatting to someone the other day, what was the main emotion they felt? I think it was disappointment. You know, if you grew up as a child feeling disappointed with things and disappointed with your parents, well, guess what? You're gonna go into a relationship where you continually feel disappointed within the relationship or even disappointed within work. Because a part of what's going on as well is when we have a look at our own identities of the way that we ha- we see ourselves and we believe other people see us, it has a huge significant impact on how successful you are within your career, also the relationships that you have around you, and even your romantic relationships too. Because if you see yourself as someone who's not confident, <laughs> and you know, or you see yourself as someone who's weak or anything like that, You're not going to be in that place where you feel like you can lead or you can communicate fully or, you know, just be you and have the permission to be yourself, which then can end, you know, you can end up in that place where you can be, you know, influenced or manipulated or anything like that. So I think the importance of understanding your identity, even from the childhood point of view, because um, I think most people don't realise that that has such a significant impact. So whether you were seen as a child that was very well behaved, so you tend to be a people pleaser later on in your adult life, or whether you were um, someone who cried a lot, so you were seen as a victim <laughs> and you play out the victim role uh, w- within your life, or whether you're seen as someone who was con- you know constantly told how brilliant they are and you know they have great confidence throughout their, throughout their life it's all going to have such a significant impact on the way that you connect with yourself and the way that you connect with others.
1: Yeah, identity is so important. And uh, mm. is it, you know, this is the triangle, is it Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs? Is that the one where it's got identity on it or is that a different triangle? Because there's lots of triangles in these places.
0: So you're thinking of... Um, neurological the identity levels. as neurological levels. That's it,
1: yes. So it's neuro- neurological levels of change. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people will... Uh, and if you if you search for that you're able to see it obviously uh, can't bring it up now maybe I'll edit it in later for the video version but yeah I mean at the bottom you've got things like your environment and um, you know your physical needs and all that kind of stuff um, so if you're trying to change something significant in your life and you start with making the, the room brighter it's probably not going to change much for you or if you try mm-hmm. and you know put noise cancelling headphones on <laughs> here we go got <laughs> some um, you can see them now it's not really going to change that much. But if you fundamentally shift the way you look at yourself, so I had a breakthrough, let's say, a Tony Robbins uh, seminar or cult, if you you like. Um, And in that, you know, it made you think about what are your current top values and what's your identity and all of that. And for me, you know, I was, I probably wasn't conscious of it as well. Because if you, part of it's also being conscious of, of all these things mm-hmm. and, and interrogating it. Because a lot of us, uh, until you get into this world, are probably not that self aware in th- in those aspects. Like you might be aware of like your your body, your proprioception, obviously, uh, and how you look in the mirror. But you might not be aware of how you come across to others and how you portray yourself in general. So like now, pe- part of my identity is being, th- you know, physically fit. And I'm not not saying that to brag or anything, but it's just part of my identity and I like that and therefore every day I want to go out and do some exercise yeah some days I wake up and I feel really tired I'm slept well but I know it'll make me feel better and I know it's part of who I am and and I like that and so you you can really shift those uh, things if you really want to and I think it's Mm. super powerful to do that
0: yeah, exactly, and I think it it, it filters down to um, you know the beliefs and values, you know, so what you prioritise, and what I tend to call these <laughs> in the training is our our stories and our rule book for life, <laughs> because as soon as you go into that, it's like okay, like you said, I'm a person who's physically fit, or I'm a person that's. You know, confident and strong, or I'm a successful person, or I'm a victim, or whatever it might be. And all of these things have a role to them. They have a level of rules that you have to adhere to to meet that, to be that, to be that person at that identity level. So what I tend to find is where a lot of people go wrong, in particular relationships, because you can have people where they're brilliant within their careers, they have great social circles, but then when it comes to their romantic relationships, they're suddenly the victim or they suddenly have no self-worth or they suddenly have no self-love or they feel the need to be able to please the other person all the time Mm. and it's almost like looking at those layers of rules where you're trying to fit into someone's life rather than actually live your life alongside someone which are two very different things. Because we're taught from, um, you know, rom-coms and fairy tales and all those different books growing up that we need to depend on someone in a relationship. The truth is, you know, we're as unique as African fingerprints, okay? And a big part of that is you're, you're gonna have your own identity, you're gonna have your own goals, you're gonna have your own purpose. And basically, you want to be able to meet someone who's heading in the same direction as you. It's almost like, you know, taxis. If you're sharing a taxi with someone, you want to make sure that they're going in the same direction. (laughs) Otherwise, you can't enjoy that journey together without one of you sacrificing or compromising on things. I hate the word compromise in relationships, FYI. (laughs) But, um, But I believe that, you know, if you're in a healthy relationship, it's about being with someone having your own goals, having relationship goals together and living life alongside each other and pushing each other to both grow. And I think this is such a huge movement because you usually have like the the gender roles of the man having the great job, the women staying at home, looking after the kids and things like that. And there's been a massive shift within those roles in itself but also the difference between the the polarities and the relationships as well which has caused a real mismatch within relationships now where people don't understand what their roles are in a relationship so it's almost like women have have become more masculine men have become more feminine and people are struggling to find where they actually fit in with that relationship dynamic but what they don't realize is the cutty, the cookie cutter roles that people have set out before us aren't healthy for anyone. And it's about us actually learning of how to define a relationship from who you are, who your partner is, and how you both work best together.
1: Yeah. And uh, I was initially going to ask a very simple question of like, oh, wow, so what do you do to have the polarity and all that but you, well, you've said it's extremely nuanced and i didn't expect that to be an easy answer and every relationship <laughs> i've been in it's probably been different as well as i've grown um yeah that, that is interesting I, I feel like i cut you off you <laughs> more to say on that one <laughs>
0: no no you're fine well I think I look at look at relationships I've got a concept of the four C's for a healthy relationship and it comes back to compatibility so I take people through a compatibility matrix to understand who you're actually right for and who's right for you because again if you're two very different people and you're pulling against each other you're not going to be able to collaborate well in a relationship the next one is communication being able to be in a place where you can communicate without judgment I mean, um, what I tend to find is in relationships is that there's communication. Like I found that some couples have conversations which are completely off, you know, off the limits. They're not allowed to even talk about certain things without it having, um, you know, huge issues within the relationship. I don't see that as healthy mm-hmm. um, or even realistic. You know, you can't have vulnerability or closeness in a relationship if you're in that place. The other one is consideration. And then the last one is collaboration. And collaboration, I find, is the one that where most people struggle with. And the reason people struggle with it is because we need to have a sense of accountability of ourselves in order to be able to um, collaborate properly together. So, for example, if I said, OK, well, that thing you said, um, you know, I really didn't like that. And the person who's, you know, who said that to they sit around and go, well, I didn't say that. (laughs) They're not accountable. You've got nothing to be able to work with. And the other side of collaboration is that, I think women tend to do this more than men, is that women will try and look after the other person more than themselves and almost try to control the relationship and that doesn't work. It's like, look after your side of the fence. The other person looks after their side of the fence, and that's how you collaborate well together. And what I tend to find is the people that tend to focus on the other partner more are the ones that are too afraid to look at themselves.
1: Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure we could keep going... uh along this route for quite a long time since the, I mean, this is your area of expertise. I do want to mm-hmm. rewind slightly as well because uh, I like to get those tipping points and yeah you know, to throw in the word there, obviously. Um, so going back to university and even earlier than that, uh, I saw on your LinkedIn that you were involved in your family business as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then you did an accountancy and then you were an accountant for a bit. Um, I'd be interested to know sort of how you went from one to the other and what sort of decisions you were making if any um because sometimes it's i mean obviously you think about these things like i thought about going to university and i i went okay where's two hours away from home where's a good university (laughs) there i'll go and and that's basically all i did I, i had no life experience whatsoever didn't do any cooking nothing um so that was about as good as it got for me and i chose something based on what i was good at that's kind of what you do a lot isn't it mm. but what was that like for you because you were involved in your bus- your family business and went into accounting as well so what was like the decision making process there
0: oh gosh yeah so yeah babies basically my family had <laughs> a really cute little family business so when my parents decided to retire um they didn't really want to fully retire so they decided to get these two businesses and uh yeah, I ended up um, running both of them at the age of 16, 17 um, uh, and loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was really interesting to see the inner workings of a business and the way that, um, you know, it just all works. And at the same time, I was also studying accountancy at a local college. So I didn't have to go away. I got to be able to have that life experience and also learn how to use, um, you know, those tools and skill sets within the business but you know we're talking about identity and talking about the values and the beliefs and all those different things I had this um this desire to go and work in the corporate world so my my dad before he retired he was um you know worked to a really high level within different corporate um you know cor- um, corporate um, organizations and I respected that. I was like, okay, if you really want to be, with some, be someone, you know, you need to go and work in corporate. You, need, you know, if you want to make money, you need to be able to go and work in corporate. And that's what really led me into that career. You know, accounting, I thought, oh, there's lots of money in that. And, you know, there was this desire to be rich and successful. But what I wasn't prepared for was how empty those achievements would feel. So you know, for example, when I was twenty three, I did a huge rollout of a system <laughs> um, uh, within within a huge international organisation that got praise from the CFO who said oh, it was the best rollout he'd ever seen, and I'd managed it, and I did all the training, everything. At the age of twenty three, and it was like, okay, that was meant to be a massive success. I felt nothing. It was mm. very much like, okay, what's next? what's next and it got to that point where it's like okay there must be something more than this there must be something more than spreadsheets there must be something more than you know just doing this day in day out and also just sitting next to people where you've got you know people calling up their kids at eight o'clock in the office saying goodnight to them and it was like yeah do I really see myself in this role you know in 10 years time 20 years time and what's this really giving me and how am I actually contributing So when I actually found something on the lines of like the NLP and understanding that, it was like, oh, why doesn't everyone know about this? It was just something that really gave me that passion. And to be able to see people's lives, you know, turn around in such a a short space of time so for example you know you do things like the whole phobias and cure the phobias and like you know help someone who needs to go and do international travel for their job to suddenly go on a plane and be absolutely fine with it or to help people who've gone through a domestic abusive relationship to be able to look at that and not feel those horrible dreaded emotions of um, of that relationship you know, to be able to give people back their control and give people back their lives in a much better and a healthier, more confident and empowered way was something so much more inspiring to me than, um, yeah, spreadsheets.
1: <laughs> well, you mean you don't have just, a mug that says uh, "I love, I heart spreadsheets"?
0: <laughs> Do you know what? I actually had. What did I have? I had. Um, oh gosh, yeah, I don't think I can say about that mug on here. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, you can swear. No, it's I have absolutely to save fine. That one. I fucking hate sh- uh, spreadsheets, so.
0: <laughs> well, actually, where's my other one? It's, uh, this was my most recent work mug, so I kept it as my little pen mug instead, so. <laughs> That's a bit milder. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> uh, dear. But, yeah, so I think it's just like, you know, allowing people to be really aligned with. Their purpose because like when I was talking about the empty goals it was like well what's what's how's this giving back how's this impacting people and I think when you get aligned to really what you believe in and what you feel has benefited you in the past and you're able to share that with people I think there's nothing better than that
1: yeah I completely agree with you there so I'm interested. I had a similar experience with different work events and getting a really good degree and all that stuff and it feeling like nothing. How much of it do you think is just your it, at that time perspective on life and you know feeling gratitude for those things and everything else? How much of it is is not being trained in inverted commas on on that kind of thing uh, and therefore not really appreciating the things you had as much uh, compared to it just not fulfilling you up because I think you can almost, this is, uh, you might disagree slightly, but I think you can almost be happy doing anything. And, um, and although there are definitely things that people are more suited to more aligned with, and mm-hmm. that would suit them better as a career. Let's, uh, let's say. So how much of it do you think is like, well, all of that, <laughs>
0: yeah so i think this is definitely i think this i think there's an element of that where you can appreciate and you can feel happy and you can do all that within the moment i think that's almost like the the maintenance but i think what really allows people to feel excited feel alive and they want to get out of bed as soon as they can in the morning is the fact that they know that they're moving forward and they're moving forward in the direction they want to Because again, you know, I could have happily gone ahead in that that career path and, um, you know, I know that I could have been very successful and, you know, over, you know, six figure salary and all the rest of it. I know I could have achieved that through that. But was it... Was that life actually aligned to what I actually wanted to achieve? Did I want to go ahead and work over 60 hours a week? Did I want to go ahead and and um, uh, just support a company to earn more money? You know, was that kind of the thing that I want to do? Or do I want to leave a legacy? Do I want to be able to say, right, I've helped, you know, thousands of people. Do I want to be able to say, okay, more people have got healthy relationships. As a result, they've got better, um, you know, their children are having better childhoods that they have had. And as a result, they're having better relationships. Or do I want to leave something like that behind? And I think it's like, it comes back to, you know, what is it that you truly value and appreciate in your life? Um, what's the story that you can tell people, or share with people that's really gonna help them in that big, huge, impactful way? And what did it mean to you? And what's it gonna mean to other people to be able to learn that from you? Yeah. I think that's when, when you're able to give that bit of your story you know, to people where it's like, okay, look, I was here, now I'm at this great stage now. I can show you how to do that without going through all the horrible bumps and scratches and all the rest of it that I had to go through (laughs) and the years and years of personal development and learnings and mistakes and all the rest of it. I can show you within a short space of time compared to the, you know, five years, six years, seven years slog that most people have to go through.
1: Yeah. So they can learn from your experiences through stories. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you think about it, you know, what's... When you have a look at, you know, lifetimes, it's like, um, uh, you know, do you want to be able to, to waste, you know, 10 years or five years of your life being in that miserable space where you can't unsolve that bloody problem that keeps repeating itself? Or do you want to, do you want to solve it within just a couple of months? Because what you're doing is you're giving people their life back. You're giving people control. You're giving people self-awareness of themselves and others. You're also releasing a lot of the shame, the guilt, the despair, the upset, all those different things. So they're able to be where they want to be. And usually like, a lot of my clients is been in that healthy relationship where they can release all the guilt, all the shame, all the upset from previous relationships, even childhood, so they can be in that place to actually enjoy a loving relationship, that stability, the security, and being able to build a life with someone.
1: Yeah. Other than the obvious answers of uh, going and seeing you, which is obviously uh, probably a good option as well, how would you advise people get started along that path of of maybe it's, maybe it's career change, maybe it's finding the right relationship? Um, because a lot of people are stuck in things, like you said, that aren't suited to them. And I'm not going to mention even my relationships to these people, but I can think of people who are definitely stuck in certain things and Mm. i could even be talking about myself as well (laughs) i have a friend no (laughs) i do have a friend as well but no anyway (laughs) um yeah where do they because they might be unaware or they might be partially aware and a lot of these things come from having a significant amount of of pain and just going no more, or they have like a big event where it's like, no more. Um, and for you, mm. it sounds like in your job when you changed from being an accountant, it was a gradual build-up and maybe multiple realizations over time of like, that didn't do it for me, that didn't do it for me, still not doing it for me. It probably will never do it for me and I feel a bit dead inside. Like where mm. do people go from, from there?
0: Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's <laughs> to make it really, really simple i would say i say simple but it's also really difficult and it's to be more in tune with your body if you are going to literally sit down do nothing close your eyes and stop and just literally almost do a body scan of like, okay how is your body feeling right now Because if you're discontent, it's going to feel tired. It's going to feel stressed. It's not going to want to sit there and stay still. You're not going to want to be in your own company and enjoy that. And that's a huge telltale sign that there's something wrong or you're trying to avoid something or you're trying to plaster over it. I think one of the things that I used to do before getting into this work was I used to keep busy and keep looking at the next goal and the next goal and the next goal and the next goal without even taking in what had been achieved. And do you know what? The amount of people that do that until the the ages of 60 and 70 when they decide to retire and they realize they have had nothing where they've really felt, yeah, do you know what? I feel proud and I've done that. And that's where, you know, I think that was a big realization for me to be able to say, okay, I don't want to go through that massive pain point. I don't want to get to an age where it's like, okay, finally stop. I can listen to my body. I've retired, haven't got any purpose or anything to go ahead and do now apart from enjoying my life, but I've been so disconnected to myself that I don't know what makes me happy anymore or how to really reconnect with myself in a way where I can go ahead and enjoy the rest of, you know, the retirement. Mm. So what I would say, and I think as well, corporate, you know, corporate in particular does this where, you know, you have to put a company's needs before your own. I and mean, how many people go into work sick? How many people work through headaches? How many people go in and they've got all these family issues in the background or, you know, breakups and all these different things where they're going in and putting the company's needs before their own and suppressing everything rather than actually being able to emotionally process and look after themselves. And you think about that. When it comes to people doing that, You know, not only are they actually learning how to suppress within the corporate world, but they're also learning how to suppress in all the other areas of their lives as well. So we become so disconnected to what we feel, what we want, what makes us happy. And even that question, you know, when I ask people, okay, what makes you happy in life? And, you know, (laughs) I tell people off if they go, oh, my kids saw this, that, and the other. It's like, no, forget all that. Forget friends, forget all those different things. What do you do in particular for you that makes you happy, that fulfills you? And most people can't answer it. And I think, you know, being able to get to that point where you feel more connected to your body, more connected to yourself, that is going to be the best comp- you know, compass that you can have in your life to be able to move you forward. Because the nice thing is, if you have something that comes up, you know, we all have that, that feeling that happens when we notice that someone's crossed our boundaries, but we choose not to, not to actually <laughs> say no or listen to it. You know, we all know that those moments where we feel really good, but do we actually stop and actually go, okay, this feels really good and this is what I need more of. Yeah. So it's just starting to be in that place where you just listen to your body
1: yeah something i've been working on for quite a while now is the feeling aspects of things because i think things like anxiety and depression are often caused by holding in so much stuff and holding back a lot of stuff for me anxiety i think is caused by holding in things and not being myself or not expressing myself or not doing what i want to be doing or you know all those kinds of things and that's probably true for lots of people uh, some people think that anxiety is about worrying and th- thinking a lot I think it can be that and that might be a symptom of it I don't think that is the only way because I've had to describe this multiple times to different people because it's mm. like why are you anxious sometimes it's really hard to know and I think some people got different levels naturally anyway everyone's got a friend that's just the most chilled out person ever and everyone's got <laughs> that one who's just st- stressed out about nothing you know they're like oh, the, the car park was awful and you're like okay (laughs) good Mm. yeah and the happy thing I actually noticed on your bookshelf you've got two books that are called Happy by Darren Brown (laughs) I do (laughs) is that a reminder for you and everyone else then
0: (laughs) subliminal messaging (laughs)
1: background (laughs) I I don't believe that's an accident
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but I think it comes back to like the anxiety is really interesting you're right because a lot of people go oh it's just future facing and it's just you know it's you know, you're worried about something in the future. No, it's not. It's just, it's simple. It's feeling in control and knowing what to do. <laughs> because if we feel in control and we know exactly what to do in life and where we're going and how everything's going to end up, we can feel safe and secure and stable. And it's when we're lacking that kind of stability or that safety within either ourselves or a situation that's where we feel anxious. And even depression is a really interesting one as well because depression tends to be, um, you know, past facing. We look back at our lives, we go, oh, do you know what? I was so happy back then, or I was such a different person back then, or I was doing this back then. Great. What are you going to do in the bloody future? <laughs> you have to top that because you're not dead yet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah and i suppose it's kind of like the the fight or flight and then there's also the freeze part and because i i did some therapy as well and i know a lot of people think like you said you have to be broken to do those things which is completely mm-hmm. untrue i think um i mean if you listen to podcasts like tim ferris and you know interviews all these top performers and what's common about a lot of them is is you know they do meditation and things which i guess is all about being aware of your thoughts and feelings and all of that and also a lot of them also do therapy because it's kind of that independent person in your life who's there to listen query and a bit like a life coach as well um and so you can work through things without it all being stored in your head i think that's a lot of what people struggle with is because modern life in general is quite busy lots going on you know if you own multiple businesses and or even if you have one job and multiple kids, you know, it's very similar, probably level of stress and things to think about. Um, mm. And so it's useful to have systems in place to manage that, whether that's, you know, lists of things, which is like the most basic possible system, but that's probably my best system I've got, You now I've got a list <laughs> for today, I've got a list for um, this project, I've got, you know, different folders for different things that, for my different energy levels as well. Uh, so there's just w- one way you can manage that. Um, because in the past, you know, we would have run around in the fields. Uh, this is a long time ago, obviously. Run around in the fields, uh, all jolly, looking for berries and, and whatever. And that would have been <laughs> the extent of our worries. And yeah, people died younger and all that stuff. But that's that's more of a natural thing, isn't it? It's like, you got an issue. I need some food. You go and find it. You know, or someone goes and finds it as part of the tribe. So it's a completely different world that we're living in with all the external pressures of society, the, the social norms... I mean, even, even things like you mentioned earlier, like I'm in a big house, I'm in a big car, you know. So easy to fall yeah. into compare, comparing with the Joneses and feeling as part of a community. And what I think is interesting as well is that you've just got there's just people everywhere that are just so worried about everyone else and uh and what everyone else thinks of them and whether they fit in and and really that used that's again another tribal thing you know fitting in within a tribe used to be life and death and therefore our bodies treat it like that 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 is the case now but that isn't the case now and so we we should feel more free to be ourselves but because we're also bombarded with the social media and all the news outlets and all that stuff with all these things that we should be concerned with, again, inverted commas should be, then we sort of take on all these things and all have all these conflicting ideas. It doesn't really help.
0: Yeah, I think, I think from what I've seen so far, is that it boils down to the, the, the story that we tell ourselves I mean I've worked with clients who've gone through You know domestic abuse for example So you know I've had clients come up to me and said Oh do you know what I don't know why on earth I stayed in that relationship so long You know I was so stupid and I was just so weak I couldn't leave them and all these different things And I just loved them And even though they treated me in this bad terrible way You know I just you know they betrayed me And I carried on loving them You know, and you've got this story coming out and it's very victim, it's very, like, awful, you know. It's it's like, okay, one of the things that I do is I say to them, right, so how strong do you have to be to be able to go through that, still love that person, still show up for that person, even though they couldn't do the things that, you know, that you needed them to do to be that partner. But how strong do you have to be to be able to go through that and stand at the other side and still love them through the process? How big is your heart? How resilient, resilient are you to, to go through that? And it's reminding people of that. It's like, okay, if your focus is on being the victim or how bad things are, Guess what? That's gonna show up. If you're focusing on, do you know what? I've got my health, I'm such a loving person, I've got amazing people around me, I'm in a you know great environment, whatever it might be, you're gonna show up in such a different way, and plus you're gonna feel different. And the funny thing is, is it takes when you think about it in terms of effort, you know. it's quite funny because you talk about um, in my program we talk about you know the negativity almost like being the junk food because it's addictive it's love it's great being in that place when we look at the the seven um, primary emotions that we have guess what five of them are negative one of them's neutral and only one's positive when we look at the mammalian brain (laughs) so it's so easy for us to go to the negative side but it feels bloody awful to be there but If you think about how awful it is to be there and the effort it takes to be in that energy, what would happen if you use that energy to put yourself in the positive, where you feel energized and you feel good to be you. You feel good in your life and you've got that fantastic outlook, where it's like, yeah, do you know what? In this moment, I feel good. In the future, I've got these little steps of the directions I wanna go in, you know, go into. And I think this is another thing that people, Um, freak out about is having the future goal set you know it's like a lot of people go i don't know what i want to do in a year's time or five years time or 10 years time that's okay and a real simple exercise i get people to do is say okay so tell me how do you want like literally three words three emotions how do you want to feel in the future okay and some people go "Oh, happy they say strong they say fulfilled great so what do you need for each of those to come true when are your most happiness you know when when did you find yourself feeling fulfilled when did you find yourself feeling strong or confident or whatever it is and what would you need in the future for that to be true and you start forming the direction of where you want to go okay and I think it's almost like being able to go and get into the taxi and go okay we're gonna go this way I don't know how far this way or anything like that but I know it's this way and it feels good Rather than being stuck in the negative place and saying I want to go anywhere but London, and we go I haven't got
1: a clue where I'm going. (laughs) Nice analogy. Uh, It's good. I'm really intrigued by this. These seven. So was it seven core emotions of the mammalian brain you mentioned? Mm Is that getting that right? So you've got five yeah. that are negative, one that's neutral and one that's positive. I, I feel like exactly. I want to know what the positive and the neutral one are first.
0: <laughs> so I think the, if I remember right, so the neutral is um, excitement. So it's kind of like either excitement or nervous. So it can be either way. So that's hence the neutral one. And the positive one is happy. Okay. So what we tend to find is our, mammalian, um, our reptilian brain, the brainstem, It's the oldest part of the brain and this is the part that causes the fight or flight. But if our identity is something that's really, 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 really strong, so you think of a version of like a chihuahua where it's like really weak and it gets really easily triggered versus a Rottweiler. If we've got a Rottweiler identity, our fight or flight system won't be triggered, okay? If we're confident and strong in ourselves, we won't be triggered. And what happens then when it reaches the mammalian brain, we're in sort of either the neutral or the happy space which then when it gets to the neocortex where it's all our logical decision making we've suddenly got options and we've got choices which is awesome that's where you want to be that's when you're at your most resourceful but if you're at the chihuahua and you're feeling threatened and you know you suddenly your your fright or flight system suddenly kicks in You're gonna be more into the negative emotions when you hit the mammalian brain and the neocortex can't fully function. So all of a sudden, all your options have gone. You're stuck in that position and it feels bloody awful. And this is why when we get to that identity level, it's so important because it impacts the way that we see life at that biological chemistry level. (laughs) So I'd say the most important thing to anyone is your identity and you nurture it you allow it to grow and you don't let anyone and I mean anyone degrade it because that will impact all areas of your life
1: true Um, and I I liked what you said earlier as well about well there's a couple of different things I I think there's the sort of side of it which is about so the neutral one it's interesting that you said neutral and then said excited and I was like hang on Um, but like you said it can go either way hence it's neutral um and i guess that also paints the picture of how you frame things so you you, when it's going from a mammalian level to the neocortex then that's the point where you can then interpret it in different ways so if you're nervous Mm -hmm. excited if i say to myself oh god i'm really nervous about this thing then then my brain will go, that's because you've done this before and you shitted it or something like that. Whereas if I say, I'm really excited, it's because, oh, it's a new opportunity and you're like, fuck, I can learn something. You know, it's completely different framing. Um, And that actually puts a bit more science around reframing as well, actually, because I've, you know, I've heard this in NLP, being an NLP practitioner, but that actually Mm -hmm. puts the science behind it as well. Uh, So glad you've put that piece in there for me. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) So, yeah,
0: but it's inter- it's interesting on. as well because the reason we have those five elements that are negative as well is because it's our survival, yeah so um literally Alice of you know it's like our brain um gossip that Marissa appears that says says about um, you know our brain's not there to keep us happy it's there just for us to survive, and I think that's so true. So being able to understand and utilise your brain in a way that works for you is so important, whereas not everyone's completely aware of how to use their brain in the best possible way.
1: Yeah, I mean, we haven't... Like you say, we've learnt to survive, and that's why we're here. All of our ancestors, you know, they might have been slightly anxious, nervous people for a good reason, because they needed to survive and find food and all of that. If they were super chilled Mm -hmm. out, I mean... Obviously, they might have some friends or tribes people that go out and get the stuff for them. So they, they've probably got some utility. They've <laughs> just got
0: good social skills. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's true, you know, I, I do often wonder about the sort of physical or mental defects of humans. Uh, to, to think about, you know, if someone's short-sighted, what were they useful for? Because it's unlikely you got lots of people being born that were short-sighted and just died we've survived like I'm short-sighted um, I've got glasses for now I'm going to have laser eye surgery soon which will be exciting um, very cool yeah um, but maybe I was good at picking out the right kinds of berries or flowers or um, without getting people you know I could look at it in close and so over. people were good at evaluating threats in the distance so equally moving that onto a sort of more mental level then yeah having all these negative things are useful aren't they
0: yeah, but even like move away from like the eyesight side of things, it looks like, okay, she's short sighted, great, well you've also athletic and you're also, you know, <laughs> you've actually looked after your body and you're fit and healthy, so that would be that'll be a thing to have a look at the this, this strength of, you know, and not everyone would have had that strength. So even having a look beyond the eyesight is very interesting to be able to do as well.
1: True, yeah, you can definitely get stuck on one thing, but you can you need to look at the bigger picture sometimes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and uh, so I want to move timeline a little bit. So you've done some training. We've oh, done loads of training, actually, very committed uh, with your NLP and everything like that. And then you've moved into having a business and everything like that. I- I'm, assur- I'm sure that wasn't simple and easy, although you had business experience uh, with your your parents' family. So that must have been quite useful. How did you go from, well, quitting your job, doing all this training, and then partnering up with these like really, uh, you know, really interesting people that are you know, world-leading in their fields? It's, it sounds almost unbelievable in some ways. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I kind of have to pinch myself too. (laughs) So yeah, even though I had experience of um, doing like retail businesses, I had no experience of doing anything online or even, you know, coaching or anything like that at that point and how to set it up and how to connect with people and how to market it and all the rest of it. So within that same year where I did the um, NLP training, life coaching, the uh, master practitioner, hypnotherapy... Um, I set up my. I worked with a business coach to set up my business at the same time, um, and did that whilst I was also recovering from a shoulder operation. <laughs> so I was literally arm bandaged up here, like literally typing with one finger. <laughs> um, uh, you know, to be able to set up the business and. Um, I think, you know, I think so many people want to do things independently. I just recently did a poll in my group, actually, about what's the most hardest thing for you to say. You know, is it I love you? Is it I miss you? No, was it I love you, I'm sorry, or I need help? And everyone literally put, you know, I need help is the worst, most hardest thing for, for them to say. So I think, you know, I knew that I didn't, know enough to be able to set up a business on my own so i went out and got help you know like um when i knew that i wanted to improve my life way before the personal development stuff i went off and got a coach you know life coach so being able to be in that position where you're open to receive help to move yourself forward is so so important so within when was that i started working with the business coach and launched my business. And within three months of launching, I was earning more than my corporate salary per month. And it was like, okay, well, this actually works. People need this. I'm loving working with all these different people. And yeah, the rest is history basically. You know, just being able to get that support, know exactly what I'm doing, launch something, you know. And I think the most important thing with business is so many people focus on success of being all about the money. Mm -hmm. It's not. (laughs) It's the heart. It's the purpose. Because, you know, you can... So many people can go ahead and chase cash, but if they're not feeling the reward of what they're doing and they're having empty success, it's not going to be sustainable. And having the purpose, having the heart in whatever you do gives you the fuel to be able to go ahead and do what you want to do. I mean, there was, I was actually working full time and working until four o'clock in the morning some nights then getting up at six, going going off and, um, you know, doing a full day at work, you know, tra- traveling 45, 50 minutes to work and back. But I was listening to audio and literally looking at how I was utilizing every bit and segment of my time in the right way to be able to, um, you know, to, to support people do what I want to do and move forward I think there was even times like um, as an accountant everyone well, if if you've got any accountants listening in everyone knows what year ends like so I remember at one point having um two weeks of doing year-end work which meant that I'd go in for you know eight o'clock I wouldn't leave at eight o'clock and I also had um I think it was about seven clients that I was dealing with within the evening so I was getting home for nine o'clock so you know having food then also typing out emails doing some of the calls luckily a lot of my clients were in America and um yeah <laughs> it's literally if I didn't have the heart in what I was doing there's no way I'd have been able to you know sustain that
1: yeah you mentioned a couple of things that are interesting so everyone <laughs> in the poll said I need help it's the hardest thing to say mm-hmm. I, I struggled with that for years that's another story um, <laughs> what made you able to do that because most people aren't or find it really difficult so did you were your parents really good at asking for help or asking you to ask for help like where did that come from
0: no no I think um yeah I come from a sort of family where people just you know the help was there but it was more on to be independent to do things on your own um I think the big turning point for me was actually having my operation So when I had a shoulder operation, I used to, basically, long story short, I used to do judo at an international level and um, broke a part of the collarbones. My shoulder used to dislocate. And, um, yeah, so I had to have that pinned. And it meant that I couldn't drive for six weeks. Um, I had to have my shoulder pinned up. I couldn't even pick anything up heavier than a kilogram for about six months. Um, uh, so, you know, it was being in that place where I was like, okay, I've got to literally accept, (laughs) which was bloody hard, accept that I can't do everything. And I think it also made me realize like how much you have to appreciate, you know, your body and also appreciate yourself. like okay you've got strengths here you've got weaknesses here you need to be able to fully recognize that rather than brush over it and just push on through because at this point especially physically you can damage yourself even further is it worth it you know what about even emotionally you know if you're talking about as something different is there any point of pushing yourself through something to try and achieve something that you can't do on your own <laughs> and then dealing with the emotions of shame and all the rest of it or burnout or whatever it might be from trying to do it all on your own there's no point because I think the worst our worst critics is ourselves. So as soon as we try and push ourselves beyond our own limits, beyond our weaknesses, you know, sometimes that can be great, but if we're doing it in the wrong, unhealthy way, it can be really damaging. So I think, yeah, a lot of things happened when I had to do everything on my own with my shoulder.
1: (laughs) Physical and mental transformation.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh gosh, you know, even simple things like, you know, you sit down and have your dinner and it's like, mum, can you cut my food for me? (laughs)
1: <laughs> cut it.
0: <laughs> yeah, because uh. I had my shoulder up here. You know, can't cut it with just a fork if you're having, like, you know, certain foods. <laughs> so it was even like going back to that basics of, like, you know, even um, silly things like washing my hair. Couldn't wash my hair on my own. So, um, uh, you know, or put my hair up. You know, it was like all those things where it's like, okay, I just need to be able to say this is what I need or I suffer do I want to suffer? No, not particularly.
1: <laughs> mm. Wow. Well, that, that was a, a detailed, well, not detailed, but a continuous practice for multiple weeks, months as well then. So I guess that, that became a habit, right? Asking for help.
0: To an extent. I think it's like just, I think it was more about understanding. There's a few things of asking for help. So it's like understanding your limits, understanding what you can do and what you can't do. And I think it's also... It's also trusting the people that you ask for help. Because there's a thing, isn't there? It's like, um, you know, it's easier to give because you know where it's coming from. But it's harder to receive because you don't know where it's coming from. So it's being able to know who to trust and also who to receive help from um, uh, which certainly helps because I think if you've got people that you're asking for help from and either they're not capable to do it themselves or they're doing it from a place of you owe me one (laughs) that's where it becomes toxic and I think that's one of the main reasons why people struggle so much to ask for help because there's an element of trust there's an element of will you catch me if i fall
1: mm. yeah definitely and i want to go back to you balancing so I, I was wondering if you quit your job and then got uh and then did your business stuff but actually you were doing both simultaneously for a mm. bit and uh, i guess you did that because you wanted to see if it would work to some extent um yeah um
0: but also the identity shift this this is things that people don't talk about you know it's like the identity shift of being an accountant to suddenly a dating coach you know there's a big um you know professional gap there (laughs) yeah and and also you know the even the identity shift of you know going from a corporate world to suddenly being self-employed and making your own rules up you know it's it's a huge huge identity and identity shift that um yeah certainly took a bit of time to be able to make that shift so i could fully go into self-employment
1: yeah uh were you so was there a transitional period where you were when people asked what do you do you were kind of like "Ah." (laughs) i don't know what to answer with
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it was quite funny, because I quite liked being able to say, oh, I'm an accountant, because it sounds very professional, this, that and the other. Okay. And I remember one of the first times, <laughs> it was a, a really cool event in London. And I just thought, you know, what, I'm at this stage now, I'm going to completely own what I do. And this guy comes over. And the funny thing is, we're still friends to this day now. Just, yeah. This guy comes over and goes, oh, so hey, how are you doing? So what do you do? I'm a dating coach. And suddenly, you know, you have that circle of of friends around you. You say that, you know, I'm a dating coach. And literally, I kid you not, within two minutes, he'd gone. He'd left. And it was like, oh my gosh, I've just admitted what I do. And suddenly that person's rejected me. And it was (laughs) hilarious because... What I didn't realise, like, later on in the evening, that guy suddenly came back. I mean, he was in his 50s, and he sat down with me and literally told me all about the problems that he had had within relationships. And it just made me realise, like, you know, it's that saying, isn't it? And, like, my, my current coach always says this to me, just, which I love him for, but I hate him for at the same time, is he turns around and goes, it's not all about you. <laughs> and it's so easy to be in that moment to go oh gosh am i going to get rejected and the person walks off and it was actually his story was so painful that he wasn't ready to kind of open up about what was going on um uh, for him to be able to you know fully take in what i do
1: oh that that went a completely different way i thought they were leaving initially (laughs) because they were afraid that you were gonna I don't know, take them apart or, you know, say, no, you approached me the wrong way or I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think the interesting thing is, it's like we create our own, we create our own identity around it. I mean, I'm a dating coach. I fully own that. But what I also fully own is that I build, you know, bring in a psychological approach rather than... uh, don't want to be rude about other people because obviously it works for them, but more of a fluffier approach. I love to be able to say, okay, this is the logical side. This is the the psychology behind it. This is how it all works at that biochemistry level um, so people can be able to date safely and successfully. You know, because if you've got, like I was talking about at the, the very beginning, about predatory people who are overstepping the boundaries or people who are narcissistic or psychopathic, if you don't know how to deal with them, that can potentially be life-ending. Yeah, certainly life-changing. I think it's like one in, um, sorry, two women every week in the UK get killed by their partners or ex-partners. That was before COVID, so I'd be interested to see what it is now. And also one in three women and one in four men um, within the US go through physically abusive relationships. So it just makes you realise how important it is to get it right and to be able to use something a little bit like, you know, behavioural psychology to understand someone's behaviour within six minutes or less, suddenly, you know, brings a little bit of credibility to what we do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, like you say, there's different sides to it, such as uh, more of the science-based side, like you've been mentioning, which is what your stuff's based on as well, Um, and that is what I would naturally lean towards as well, having done a physics degree and all, and all that kind of stuff. But realising, you know, it's hard to explain everything and some people have different techniques and they work too. Um, and I could not explain it. And they also often struggle to explain it, which can be quite frustrating mm. for logical people like us and um, assuming that you're a logical person there, having been an accountant. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, one plus one
1: equals two. <laughs> That's good. Your spreadsheet works. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it sort of transitions quite nicely into the behavioural stuff then, because um, I mean, you were doing a lot of the uh, psychological stuff and and learning about NLP and everything, and I suppose that's a lot more about the brain and everything. And then you've moved into behavioural. I want to say analytics, not the right word, but science, behavioural science as mm-hmm. well. Having met people like Chase and things, so how did you go down that path and? Uh, I guess, what have you learned from it? But that's a quite broad question. You can go with that where you will.
0: Oh, gosh, yeah. So, obviously, when it found Chase after, um, I was stalked by that person.
1: <laughs> I managed disguise. to prevent
0: that. <laughs> yeah, well, I thought, like, because I was I was still running my, um, my business at that point, and it made me realize, like, I need to make sure that if any of my clients go through that, I know exactly what to do and how to help them. Because... You know, the last thing you want is someone potentially being put in danger, you know, when working with you. And, you know, oh, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, um, some of the things I've seen, I, I remember one person actually sending me a picture. Um, she hadn't worked with me. She wanted to come and work with me. And this is kind of the reason why. She'd actually gone on a date and um, she sent me a picture the next morning of literally bruises around her neck while as this guy decided to try and choke her so which is just insane um that's another yeah it's a whole nother story but i think one thing that i learned from the behavioral psychology and behavioral profiling and working with chase is that uh, yeah we are so trying to think the best words to kind of put together here it's made me realize how important it is to be around people who are self-aware. And the reason being is, it's almost like, I almost referred to, to be, behavioural profiling a little bit like martial arts. It's like, you know, you can use it for good, you can use it for bad, but also, you know, if you've got it, you know you're protecting yourself. And if you find a partner who's also in that stone as well, they're, they're able to protect themselves and also it makes it easier to be able to connect with that person or, or spar with that person. As soon as you get a newbie, so I used to do a lot of, a lot of martial arts, if you were training with a newbie in martial arts, um, uh, you can almost guarantee that you were going to get hurt. Because you're trying to avoid hurting them whilst they're doing a few of the techniques in a little bit of a clumsy kind of way. So, (laughs) and I think it's the same with the way that people connect together, you know, connect with each other. If you don't have the self-awareness of yourself or you don't have self-awareness of other people, you're going to trip and you're going to stumble a lot. And I think that's what a lot of the behavioral profiling kind of taught me. And also it taught me of like how easy we can be influenced and also how easy it is to determine someone's behaviour. So part of the profiling within six minutes or less is understanding someone's needs and someone's fears. And literally you can do it with really, really, really quickly. And what happens is, is when we understand those, we can understand the driving force of someone's behaviour. So every behavior we do, we do it for something that's either pleasurable or we're moving away from something that's painful. And you know, when we can see that in someone's behavior and we understand the driving forces of what they actually want to lean towards and get more of and what they're moving away from, we know exactly what they're going to do. So when we have a look at the terms of like compatibility and who we're right for and who we're not right for. We can do that from understanding the profiling.
1: I really want to ask you how you profile people in six minutes. I'm sure it's not a quick answer. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So I think I think with you in particular, you love to you love the the logic and you love to be able to say, Okay, I'm intelligent. If you have someone literally turn around to you and say, oh no, that's not right, or that's incorrect, that could be horrible for you, especially in a social situation. But if you have someone going, oh yeah, do you know, that's really interesting, tell me more about that. I really wanna know and understand your concept of X, Y, Z. You would love that. So that'd be kind of like the intellectual part of it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I'll go into just that bit for you. (laughs) But it is very, very interesting. So if I wanted to get on side with you, I would, yeah, I'd be talking a lot around those side of things. And we also have something called um, gestural reference. So when we're talking about something positive and something that's negative, we'll actually have two for different sides for it. So for example, my negative side's over here. If I talk about anything negative, I am gesturing over here. <laughs>
1: that's your left side, is it?
0: Yeah. And then if I'm talking about anything positive, it's over here. So if I was talking to someone to get on with them, well, guess what? I would be on their positive side. Or I would be talking to that positive side and literally leaning everything when I'm talking to them over here. So and and, and all the good things that I want that person to experience or deal with or understand, I'd be talking from this concept. Anything that I don't want them to do or I, you know, want them to dislike, I would be gesturing to their negative side. So you can actually deal with a lot of bits and pieces around that as well. It's very cool.
1: It is, <laughs> I, I'm sure I'm wrong here. So I'd heard that if you want to make yourself feel depressed and this, this sort of goes at odds with what you just said, so I'm probably mm-hmm. wrong here. I might just misremembered as well. You look down to your right and you can have kind of like, oh, you yeah, know, depressed. And, and of, is that completely bullshit?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so we, what we actually do is when we look... So obviously you've got the, the different sensory preferences. So when we look down, it's, it's the emotional side. Um, I'm trying to think which one's which side it is. So when we're feeling stuff, we can go into... We can look down into either left or right. You kind of have to calibrate on someone. Mm. But what you find is someone experiencing emotions... Um, uh, and also you can have emotions and internal dialogue as well. So that's what I'd be looking for around there. And then you've also got the the visual where you're remembering or creating as well. But yeah, I'd say anyone sort of looking down in a situation, they're feeling. If they're kind of looking towards the side, they're thinking in terms of um, internal dialogue. Yeah, but it's interesting. I'd say the more uh, depressive, if people are going into sort of a depressive mood, best way to create that (laughs) is just through our bodies. So if you're thinking about when you're really depressed, you're kind of sort of scrunched up, you're kind of protecting bits and pieces and you're in that more vulnerable kind of space. If you're being confident, you're just, you know, your shoulders back. Yeah, lots of hand movements because you're showing how confident you are. And that will change the way that you feel within your body as well.
1: Well, it makes me think maybe I should rearrange my uh, position here because I'm leaning forward (laughs) so I can be within the right proximity to the microphone and everything else. And if I sit back, I don't know if I feel like I'm too far away and also I can't focus that far away without wearing glasses. I don't want to wear glasses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, if you have your back against a chair, it shows disengagement. So it goes, oh, I don't really want to be a part of this. So this is why there's that need as well to kind of lean forward when you're, when you're in a conversation. Hmm. So that's the kind of things that you'd be looking for as well. You can also notice um, someone's blink rate. So if someone's got a high blink rate above um, 12 blinks per second, they're showing that they're disengaged.
1: Um, my mouth's open, by the way, because 12 per second is... Unbelievably, sorry, twelve
0: per minute. Sorry, twelve per minute. All right, okay.
1: Just gonna say, God, (laughs) that's
0: a lot. You can blink that (laughs) fast. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, if it's um be above like twelve blinks per minute, that shows that someone's disengaged and they're not really paying attention. So change the conversation topic goodness sake or if they're literally slowing down their blink rate it shows they're relaxed they're engaged and they really want to um, learn more about what you're saying so that can be a really interesting one well, especially on a date as well so you know if you're doing well or not
1: <laughs> writing this one down
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it
1: yeah 12 per second change topic okay good uh, per minute oh god I've got the wrong one down <laughs> Just 12 per second, then, uh, well, probably move, move along.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're having a fit at that stage.
1: <laughs> yeah, rapid eye movement. They're probably asleep.
0: Oh, see me. Oh, dear.
1: Me. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, where were we? <laughs> mm, okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I circled this. Self awareness. So surrounding surrounding yourself with people that are self aware. Mm. Without spending ages getting to know somebody, how do you know if somebody's self aware or not?
0: Mm. Nice question. I think it's it's more about it's social etiquette. It's kind of like. What I find of people who are soci- you know, who are kind of more emotionally aware and socially aware, they will do things to bear you in mind. So it's, they'll do things automatically to make your life easier rather than harder. So it can be something as easy as op- keeping a door open for you when you go and walk through the door. It can be um, when you go and grab a table or go and grab the drinks, what do you want? It's kind of like these type of people <laughs> rather than the ones that just go off and do their own thing. And we all have one of those friends. <laughs> mm. <laughs> they just go off and it's like, okay, oh, well, they've brought their drink. Okay, what about me? Hang on. <laughs> so I think it's people who just, gen- you know, just genuinely just do things that... Show that they are caring about you as well as themselves. Mm. So, whether it's being really engaged in a conversation, whether it's doing things just to make your life a little bit easier, whether it's checking in with you, knowing that you've gone through a hard time, or whether it's um, asking if you want to go and do something because they know it's your favorite, you know, place to go or whatever it might be. You know, just someone who actually shows that they. They've paid attention and are just doing something to make your life better.
1: Yeah, okay. Uh, I I maybe would have called that consideration or being considerate rather than being self-aware, but maybe they're the same thing in some ways.
0: You can't be considerate if you're not self-aware.
1: Hmm. I feel like I need to process that one.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It kind of comes back to that thing. If you're... You can only connect to someone as deeply as you are connected to yourself and the other person so if that person's not connected to themselves you're going to really struggle to connect if you're not fully connected to yourself you're going to really struggle to connect with someone and so a big part of connecting to yourself is that self-awareness so if you don't have that You don't have the concept of empathy within yourself or compassion, and you don't have empathy for the other person. And someone who's really self-aware of themselves and other people have high levels of empathy and emotional intelligence. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I can think of somebody (laughs) who is almost certainly not very Mm. self-aware. I'm not going to say any more than that. Yeah. (laughs) Fair play. (laughs) So I want to go inside the inner workings of, uh, well, not really inner workings, but just how you managed to, and it doesn't have to be specifics, but the whole partnership with like Chase and people like that, it, it, it's uh, obviously a great position to be in, and you got in contact through that sort of uh, bad situation initially as as well. Um, I mean, how did that all develop? And you'd have, like I say, you'd have to give specifics and you can tell me to F off if you want as well. But it'd be kind of interesting to know because, again, it's asking for help in some ways. I, I don't know who asked who and all that kind of stuff, but maybe you, know, you maybe can yeah. help me with that.
0: Yeah, um, it was quite funny, actually. So after Chase had sent over the different bits and pieces to help me shake off that stalker, I went on to one of his trainings in London. And I was like, OK, I need to learn this stuff. And it was over... I can't remember if it was five days or four days but every evening after we'd finished training we'd go out for a couple of drinks or go for a meal and things like that afterwards and at the time Chase's business partner had spoken to me and I'd shared my story of what happened with previous relationships and stuff and then before I know it, I had um you know Chase sit next to me we we're talking about and we we're going through articles and stuff like that and um Yeah, at the end of the event, Chase's business partner came up to me and said, you know, hey, I think there could be this really cool collaboration here. What do you think? And yeah, I nearly, I think I nearly fainted. (laughs) I was like, yes, I really want to do this. I want to be able to help people bring this in because I know this is something that would have um, prevented me from going into, you know, bad relationships in the past. I know that is something that's going to help other people avoid, um, you know, really awful relationships. So yeah, and it just all happened from there. We created a um, identifying and disarming narcissist course, which was just fantastic. We actually help people heal from narcissistic abuse through that course as well. Um, yeah, and it just literally all stemmed from there. I think we even did a live course together online when COVID hit. So I got to present with him as well on an online course. It was just brilliant.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you you sort of hit it off and uh, both the overlapping personality, uh, well, the interest in all of of the narcissist stuff and his experience with that and and your dating coaching and all that stuff just kind of came together and just seemed like a good mix. I guess there was just uh, good chemistry between you guys as well.
0: Yeah, 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 so...
1: That's cool. Yeah, because you've got into some, (laughs) in contact with some really interesting people. Like, um, oh no, his name's, I've ever written it down. Where is it? I said his name to you earlier. Mark. Mark
0: Bowden. Bowden. I almost said Snowden. (laughs) and knew it was wrong.
1: I've been listening to this stuff with uh, Russell Brand about conspiracy theories with somebody who's called Snowden, I think. Anyway. Ah,
0: that's right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, such great people to be around as well. And uh, obviously we've all heard this. You know, the, people, the five people you're around, you know, it's kind of like who you are it's definitely worded in a better way than that but you know what I mean
0: <laughs> yeah I'll tell you what it's, it's, it's brilliant because um yeah from doing the work with Chase it's like yeah I've got to speak to because they do the behaviour panel which is fantastic anyone who's interested yeah. in uh, body language behaviour definitely go and check that out yeah. so yeah I got to speak to Mark Bowden Scott Rouse from there and um, Scott Rouse who spoke about psychopaths which is just fascinating absolutely love that subject and um Another person who I met in person on one of Chase's courses was um, David Snyder. And he's huge within the NLP world. Very interesting guy. Knows his stuff. And uh, we ended up doing a really interesting chat on um, the way men and women basically work and function and think differently. And that was interesting.
1: (laughs) Uh, A perception-based thing or like a sort of scientific... Look at that.
0: Uh, so, uh, David Snyder, he's basically got a low, basically, he has developed his own ways of working from the foundations of NLP, Chinese medicine, and a few other bits and pieces. So, he knows a lot around influence, around body language, around face um, reading, all sorts. But it was very interesting the way that he went into the psychology. Of um, you know, just basically attraction with men and women, and the way that they kind of the the, the shortcomings of communication and all sorts is very very interesting.
1: <laughs> is he suggesting that we get Neuralink and start like putting probes in our brains and telepathic? Yeah. Now, <laughs> obviously not. It's been stupid.
0: <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, so was we'll see. Uh,
1: you said you talked to David Schneider and Scott Ralph as well. Were they both on your podcast as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, they were. So uh, Scott Ralph, we did a great, um, great interview on psychopaths. I mean, uh, I don't know how much you know about psychopaths, but basically they're a step up from a narcissist. So psychopaths, the problem that people struggle with them is that they believe that they're beyond the law. So I've worked with people within Love with Intelligence where um, they've been in a relationship with a psychopath. Actually, I've worked with two women in particular, actually, who have almost been burnt to life by a, a psychopath. So it'll give you an idea of how dangerous <laughs> these personality types are. Yeah, it's insane absolutely insane so they believe that they're above the law but also when we talked a bit a little bit about how a psychopath starts out and how they realize that they're different and how they try and mimic themselves to fit in society but one of the things they really struggle with is and this is where the psychopathic stare comes from is social cues so they'll actually have to continually stare at someone (laughs) um and they won't feel that that feeling to look away like most mm. people would so if you have someone who's um a psychopath and you're or you're at a bar and you've got someone completely staring at you for that whole time and not looking away yeah chances are you're um yeah <laughs> being pursued by a psychopath
1: <laughs> is it possible that somebody could be trying to maintain good eye contact because they're semi self aware and uh but the thing is, like, I, I'm trying to think, like, am I a psychopath? I'm like, no, because it's awkward no. if, if you just... <laughs> thanks for... Yeah. For, thanks for cooperation <laughs> <there>. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at somebody, they look back and, you know, people generally look away. It's, it's just an actual mm-hmm. reaction, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, one thing that um, narcissists and psychopaths have is the empathy part of the brain is underdeveloped. So there's no empathy there. So it's all about them. It's a self-centeredness. It's they see people as resources. They feel see themselves some, as something that's better than other people. So there's so many different signs that tends to pop up, and they're very disconnected from, um, yeah, just being able to care for people. You know, it's, it's all about. It's all about them. But there's also, there's a great book called Snake in Suits. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can reach it, And it basically talks about how these people are great in their professions. Um, so, for example, psychopaths, they're great to be in surgery, like surgeons. They're great for, um, you know, being in the army because they're not triggered by the blood and the gore and things like that. You also find that psychopaths and um, narcissists tend to be people like lawyers or um, dan- directors or people within positions of power because, again, that's what they crave. They crave the power to be able to control and to direct other people. And it adds into their status and also adds into their um, their ego, basically, because it stops their insecurities from coming out.
1: Hmm. So how do you spot i mean other than the eye contacting how do you spot a psychopath like what things are they doing
0: so one thing that's really interesting around and this is this will go for narcissists and psychopaths one thing that's really interesting is that the empathy part of the brain is underdeveloped and the way that we actually learn empathy is when we're babies we will copy our parents or our primary carers faces and so when that happens and um, that's how literally you learn empathy you learn all the facial expressions narcissists and psychopaths don't have that so they've had to learn how to fit into society so they'll mimic it to a degree but there's a huge telltale sign of whether that's authentic or not and for those that hold an authentic expression so whether you're really happy or whether you're really sad you will hold that expression and it will naturally fade away. Now, if I said to you, okay, you've got someone over there who we really don't like, and they've looked over at you, they've smiled, you look over, you smile, as soon as they turn their head, that smile drops off your face really quickly. And this is what we find with psychopaths and narcissists. If you're interacting and having a great conversation and you know, you're talking about something that's really, really sad, for example, And you're saying, oh, do you know what? I've just lost my job. I've got this going on. I feel so stressed. And, you know, you can feel like the facial expressions will just go really, really, really sad and down. They will struggle to hold that expression or mirror your facial expressions. If they do manage to mirror it, that facial expression will drop really quickly or they'll change the subject really quickly onto something else.
1: Uh... There was a couple of things, and I should be—I should get better at making notes because I'm like, ah, oh, so many interesting things here. Um, <laughs> so some people don't like negative people. I mean, uh, uh, that's a, that's a really judgy sort of statement, anyway. But <laughs> let's say somebody mm-hmm. complains a lot, and you know, this is really interesting talking about people in, in just like abstracts. But anyway, abstract. I, I, some people are negative and then some people don't like that some people being me uh and because they don't you know they don't reframe and blah <laughs> oh how was that oh, i was really good until this and you're like oh, oh, right great i wish i hadn't asked so what if somebody's trying to change it because they just don't want to be surrounded by negativity and stuff all the time like mm-hmm. i suppose uh you have to we- evaluate in c- context of other people and other interactions don't you
0: yeah, but you're not going to sit there and smile through the conversation when someone's saying something really bad. <laughs> so, again, don't worry about too much about the change in the conversations. It's looking at the facial expressions. It's like, okay, mm. are these facial expressions actually genuinely empathising with that person or not? Um, and the other side of things as well. So, we wouldn't just go... We usually read in clusters. So, we wouldn't just you read off a one-off basis or... Um, you know or just one thing we would be reading off about three or four things and it would be a consistent thing so another thing that you could look at is is that conversation continually going back to that person or is it flowing between the pair of you is it a curiosity between your both what you both think or how your days have gone or is it continually going back to them so for example if i said oh gosh i just broke my finger and they go oh that's nothing i've just broken my leg they're turning the conversation to them to say okay i'm a Amazing! This is my status, and this there's this power element as well.
1: Oh, I've got to read more about this. I know you've recommended me a <laughs> book previously. Um, any books that you would recommend in general on this topic?
0: Yeah, there's a great book called The Gift of Fear, and um, it was it was basically written by someone who used to do all the security for the White House and um it's just a fantastic book but one of the things that he brings up is that the biggest red flag that you can see within someone is their inability to accept the word no and again it comes back to this need for power they need this they have this need for absolute power for narcissists and psychopaths and it can be, you know, whether you turn around and say, okay, I don't want to go on a date tonight. And they're like, oh, go on, go on, just come out anyway. It's fine. You know, they'll push for it. Or, for example, um, <laughs> client-wise, I remember on, it was actually on LinkedIn. And uh, I had someone reach out to me and said, oh, can I, you know, can I book a call with you, this, that, and the other? I was like, yeah, that's absolutely fine. Here's my booking link. And they turned around and said, oh, here's my number, call me now. I don't work like that (laughs) so and this is the thing they can't conform they can't stick between those they have to be able to do things on their terms and move things in a direction where they want the way they want to work rather than saying okay well this i'm being respectful to you this is how you feel comfortable this is the way that you work great
1: Mm. Yeah, I think the grouping is important. Otherwise, you just get fixated on, oh, they just move their shoulder. Because I watched some of the behavior panel, and it was like, you know, if you twitch one shoulder, so it sort of means you disagree. And there's like an example of Obama doing that in a speech because someone shouts at him or whatever. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, but if someone does that, and then, you know, it doesn't mean everything, it might indicate something, but you've got to have more than just the one data point. Makes sense.
0: Yeah, so you actually, yeah, so what you do, you read in something called clusters. So, for example, like we talked about the blink rate, that would be um, like an increase of that. If the breathing changed at the same time and the shoulder went, it'd be like, okay, I've got a real good read on that person at at that same time. So um, uh, basically, the more you can see and the more you can read, the more accurate you're going to be when it comes to reading
1: people. Yeah. Uh, And the more I talk to you, the more I'm becoming... (laughs) overly self uh aware of all that stuff it's like how fast am i breathing like how much am i blinking uh and oh, no, yeah, i know yeah don't
0: overthink to... it
1: I, well i well, i'm not that worried but you know what i mean is you start as you start to learn about it then yeah it must just become something that you see everywhere and uh
0: yeah, yeah. The, the funny thing is the most easiest way to learn is by reading your own body language it's like huh Okay, I've just noticed my breathing's increased. Okay, what actually caused that? What does that look like so I can see that in other people? You know, it comes back to that self-awareness. If you've got that deep self-awareness, you're going to be able to see things in people that even people themselves wouldn't see within themselves. And that's where it becomes fun. I mean, we've done that. I remember doing a coaching call and, um, you know, talking to someone about, you know, self-worth, confidence... And they said that they loved themselves, their body language and everything said no. So it was like, okay, this is, this is the place, you know, to be able to see that as a coach and to say, okay, well, this is the area where actually they need to work on. <laughs> I won't turn around to them and say, well, actually, you just lied there. Mm. <laughs> but what I would be doing is I'd be going, okay, well, let's actually start having a look at these different things, which ultimately would actually build up their self-worth even more.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's the power of it, isn't it? It's not about just pointing out you're lying, because obviously no one likes to hear that anyway. It's about exactly. weaving in your next level of understanding into what how you can help them.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that I love about it is I I refer to it as seeing the truth so you can make an informed decision. It's like, well, why do people get upset with things like cheating, for example? It's because they weren't informed. They didn't get to choose whether they were going to be with someone who was going to have sex with someone else. You know, it's like, um, you know, why breakups? Why do people feel so upset and betrayed about breakups? Or they wouldn't have gone into that relationship if they didn't think it it was going to work out. So it's making that informed decision from seeing the truth as it's happening rather than finding out months, weeks, years, decades later.
1: Absolutely. Well, we've talked about a lot of interesting stuff and I I think we could talk for hours. Um, (laughs) Although I I do realise you've probably got other things to do as well. Uh, So I was just wondering if there was any, any particular requests or messages you'd want to give to the audience just... Obviously, we talked about um, a lot of things about psychopaths and changing direction and believing in your self-identity. I mean, there's, there's so much interesting stuff going on. Uh, but are there any things you'd like to impart, any nuggets of wisdom to people listening?
0: Um. Yeah, I would just say just it all starts with you. I love the saying, "And before you can have, you must become. And I think it's so true because if you're in that place where you've looked after your identity, you believe in yourself, you believe in that you deserve love, you're worthy of love and you can get love, you know, and not wear it as a facade, but you truly believe in it. Because I know some people do the whole, um, you know, try and front it out, but inside they don't feel it. I mean, I'm talking about feeling it at your absolute core and appreciating who you are, that identity level, everything else will fall into place. I think that's important, but it's the inner work of understanding how to do that that's important. So when it comes to asking for help, please don't be afraid to do that because that's what's gonna help you move forward. And yeah, I think that's probably the most beneficial thing that I would have actually said to the previous version of me before jumping into this stuff. Because if I wouldn't have done that, there's no way I'd be able to be where I am now.
1: Fantastic. Thanks for that. And uh, how can people keep in contact with you? Obviously, you've got multiple businesses, as you mentioned. So you've got lovewithintelligence.com, nlpwithintelligence.com. Is it leadershipwithintelligence.com as well?
0: (laughs) Um, It's actually the power within.
1: Ah oh, right see this is yeah. the only one i haven't looked up because i found out about this one today so I was no like, oh. it's good yeah i <laughs>
0: no, you've done your research i'm impressed but yeah the the business itself is called leadership with intelligence and um underneath it is the website is thepowerwithin.com so yeah we work a lot with motivational intelligence of how to use the brain through creating great leadership change
1: fantastic and uh You might wanna stay anonymous and not want people to find you on Instagram, et cetera. Are there any social platforms or anything that you're on that you wanna promote?
0: yeah so we're on facebook we've got a facebook group a facebook page we've got instagram we've got linkedin we've got pinterest youtube i'm trying to think if there's anything else i think that's all of them
1: (laughs) yeah and uh also came across your podcast as well love of intelligence as and so i'm going to check out the ones with scott ralph and david schneider and i was watching the one with mark bowden (laughs) yes yep good i had Snowden in my head still it's annoying uh yeah and that was really good he's a really great speaker as well and just as i was saying to you earlier really likable so definitely recommend everyone checks that one out as well um so on that note uh i'm gonna thank you very much for coming on today and really been a pleasure and yeah thanks again
0: oh thank you so much for having me it's been a great conversation so thank you
1: Thank you for listening to Tipping Points. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, like, and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. Doing this really helps us to keep providing free content to you. If you want to find out more, get more episodes and exclusive content, please head over to tippingpointspodcast.com. If you've got some insights today, like the way I ask questions, and want to take your journey to another level, then Mindful Productivity Coaching is for you. At Mindful Productivity, we take a holistic approach to make you happier, healthier, and more productive. Our coaching program is tailored to your needs so you get what you want from it. Find out more at mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching and book your free discovery call today. That's mindfulproductivity.net forward slash coaching for your free discovery call.